Welcome to Beltalota, the officially unofficial podcast for the Expanse on Amazon Prime. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about season five, episode four, titled Gaga Gagamela? Gagamela? Mm-hmm. I I don't know how to say this. Uh and I you actually must have never watched Smurfs because boy, this guy, I'm not <laughs> sure why the episode's named after him. This guy gave those blue folks hell. It's true. Just never, never gave him a moment's peace. Him and that damn cat, I swear. Yeah. Let, let you know, let him it must be a metaphor for how the belters feel about the inners. Yeah. You know, like Earth is Gargamel. Yep. And uh <laughs> and Mars is its cat. And uh that's it's just always always tormenting them. No, I did, apparently uh Gagamela is a, a battle that happened between Alexander the Great and then the Persian leader of the time, and I I don't know anything about it. Uh and I was not about to dig into thousands of years of history to try and figure it out today. So uh you know, that's there if you want to go look it up. I don't know if you know more about it, but. Yeah, I mean, this is you had like the great, 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 great grandsire of uh, Cyrus the Great. And, you know, a couple lesser, a couple, uh, um, you know, less gr- um, great greats of, of Xerxes from, uh, you know, the, the Spartan movie 300. Mm-hmm. Uh, got his ass kicked on this battlefield by Alexander the Great, the up and coming. Um, so. I is that mean Marco sees himself as kind of like uh you know Alexander the Great this young conqueror sure. that's going to de- essentially declare a sovereign space all of space everything that the atmosphere doesn't touch on the solar system is his Yeah I mean I could definitely see that it's it's funny there is a moment in the books where one of the characters sort of describes Marco as seeing himself that way um and you know it's it's meant to be like well that's how he sees himself is that true I I don't know um, is he, is he comparable to Alexander the Great that remains to be seen but certainly he could think of himself that way yeah yeah and I don't know I mean does this uh, does it feel like a decisive battle like I feel like Earth is by the end of this episode reeling but yeah I I, I it feels to me like. Um, it feels to me like a, a Pearl Harbor situation where you've done a lot of damage. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of anger and grief, but you haven't really. I, although I guess they did decapitate the UN like Nancy Gao. Uh, yeah. Gone. Uh-huh. Nancy gone. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I, I didn't see that coming like this. Um, you know, I talked about, we, we talked about like, you know, how is Avasarala going to do from, from uh, Luna and the shadows and this power vacuum, uh, you you wonder if, if she's going to be able to just step into it seamlessly. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah. I, I don't know. There, there's so much confusion and chaos right now as to, you know, what's happening, where it comes from. By the end of this episode, they know very, very uh, affirmatively exactly who's responsible. Um, mm-hmm. And and but during that time before this, they're scrambling. They don't know what's going on. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I can see like there's still a lot of question marks up in the air about the fate of Earth. Um, will it be able to recover? If so, will it be able to recover in time to stop the belt from essentially taking all of the worlds beyond the ring gate uh, and claiming them for their own? Uh, is that something you even want to see happen? Like, th- there's so many questions around not just what is going to happen, but but what should happen, right? How do how do yeah. you feel about what? should happen here do the belters it, it, you know it, this is obviously a terrible thing the mark has done uh launching rocks killing millions of people with these rocks uh is it is it a fair trade 
for the oppression that Earth has, and Mars have been, you know, put, putting over the Belters for the last few centuries. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, um, I, I think it's fascinating to consider these concepts because like my answer is like, you know, no, no, sure. you can't, you don't, that's you don't get too. to murder millions and millions of innocent people just because, but what I like about this show is it, um, it's not exactly sympathetic. Cause I don't feel like uh, many people are going to be tempted to be like, Oh, you know, Marco's got a point, but you do think that like, there is a point there. And essentially you, yeah. you know, if you are the people that are uh, doing the imp- oppression, oppression, I guess that's a, it's like, am I being an oppressor? And if I am, how can I stop? And also how do I behave in a way that if, if people like Marco's, uh, in our inevitable process, their inevitable result of the process of this, you know, dehumanization, this colonialization, this, this oppression, how do you behave in a manner that reduces them, you know, from being likely and, 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 and to, to, to the extent they do rise, they don't have popular support because they're seen as, as crazy. Um, I think that's something that like, yeah, we should pay a lot of attention to because, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, Marcos isn't right, but you know, people don't do horrific things like this just for no fucking reason, you know? And it's, it's also, yeah. that's the other thing. It's interesting. We've seen this in our own history in, in the United States that like, it's often not the ones that are the worst off. It's like, it's not like the people that are literally being crushed under the heel. It's, it's fairly well, it's fairly wealthy, educated, um, worldly people who are sympathetic to those that then end up, you know, throwing rocks at your world or planes at your skyscraper and, you know, you, we have to figure out a way to, to keep the, to keep these types of people from arising. It seems like the best way to do that is like shared wealth, don't oppress people, uh, give people sure. democratic say in their in their and in, in their living conditions and working conditions. But um, that's that's what the expanse is grappling with. Yeah. Uh, we haven't talked about much of like what we thought about the episode because we got right into the geopolitic, political, <laughs> historical uh-huh. context. Um I was so excited to see Chad Coleman back as Fred Johnson. And I'm like, well, we're not going to get Jared Harris, but like, you know, or maybe we're not going to get him, I should say. Probably. But like, man, I really like this guy. He, I really loved him in The Wire. I liked him on The Walking Dead. He's a, he's a, he's a really cool dude. I thought he crushed Fred Johnson. That, that's really how you live your life, isn't it? And then he gets killed this episode. Like, I really was stunned um I, we talked about how the first three episodes in the season were literally kind of moving things together and there's this, this big kind of like gut punch waiting for earth and and avastroids like is, is she going to be able to figure it out um I, this episode just felt like one damn thing happening after another yeah uh, i was literally reeling um the idea that like I don't really believe the amos is dead but like i said in the previous podcast this show could do that like i don't Mm -hmm. put it past them to kill major characters for important plot points and you know the the devastation of earth um is definitely one of those plot points that you could you could justify it wrong as a book reader sure as a as a book reader what did you think did you feel like that this was about right when everything was going to be coming to an head or yeah i mean all these events um pretty much happen in the book the uh in one way or another uh fred's death is very very different in the book um although really? this event still happens he does not die in this moment um he, he's around for at least another book so uh yeah that, that was a little dead? surprising 
No, he's he's dead. Uh, no, he's he's okay because yeah, Holden put like uh, closed his eyes, right? Uh huh. Yeah, and they shot him out in a torpedo casing. Yeah, all of it. <laughs> you know, they gave him the <laughs> Spock treatment. Uh, yeah. It, no, for sure. I mean, he's he's definitely dead. That scene says everything. Uh, but yeah, it just happens different in the book, and so I I was surprised wow. by that part of it because it is wow. such a big character, right? Like I I view yeah. Fred Johnson as like a big connecting piece for the entire belt and that's just gone now. And I'm super interested to see where they take the belt from here. Is it, is it just Marco with the entire support of all of the belt behind him? Um, I'm not sure. I'm really not. Yeah. And it seems like that. um, Yeah. I I don't know. Cause like, that was my hope that like uh, between Fred and Dawes, uh, they would be able to kind of find a middle path for the belt to be taken seriously as a great nation and to get economic opportunities for the people, all that kind of, that's, that's what I was really re- kind of rooting for. And now like the most, you know, reasonable, but maybe it's always a fool's hope to think that an, uh, a Terran an earther could be that, you know, could be yeah. like the honest broker and like uh, George Washington type figure for, the belt it might need to come from within but in that case like who's going to step up and say and and repudiate marco it has to be like the you think it has to be the like the entire belt would have to take him but how but how because we know he has these like powerful warships now um yeah i think i think that story has always been one of of a question of patience, you know, like um, if you look at everything that Fred Johnson has done, he's gotten the belt into positions of power, right? I mean, look at Medina yeah. Station. That Seats is essentially at Seats at the table, the gateway to the universe uh, for humanity. Mm-hmm. So he's getting there. But guys like Marco and, and a lot of belters, a lot of those factions are very impatient because they've been stepped on for generations. So like, yeah, it is a question of like, what kind of freedom do you want? Um, and what cost are you willing to pay to get it as fast as you want it? it it's a it's a super, you know, intricate plot. It's not just like all oh, the belters want their freedom, and so all of them are on the same side. No, it's a, it's it's a mixed bag, you know. That's what's so interesting because I remember watching these same stories on Star Trek: The Next Generation, and they'd always have shitty like it'd be this morality play of like the establishment being like we're just trying to keep law and order, and they're blowing up our dudes, and they're blowing up our buildings, and they're attacking. And then they you'd finally get you know Captain Picard or Riker, whoever would find the terrorist leader, and they'd always be some weirdo with like Mad Max hair, and they got kind of like a crazy glint in their eye, and like you understand <laughs> how many people we. And it's always just like WWE, and you, you know, and and at, at home you're supposed to sit on the couch and be like, look at Picard, you know, and, and Picard gives this like you know cockamamie speech about like if you guys can just evolve past killing each other, you know, mm-hmm. maybe one day you can join the Federation, and but this is all so primitive and barbaric, and like you know, I'd sitting on the couch, you're supposed to be like, oh look at Picard, great statesman, uh, boo terrorists. Uh, also kind of boo the other guy because he's an asshole too uh yeah but i i feel like that this is a lot more nuanced and it really feels a lot more realistic about like yeah i mean i'm i'm an earther i wouldn't want millions and millions of my fellow terrans to die um but i also wouldn't want you know hundreds of belters to die a year because they don't have 
proper medical care or do you just decided not to pay for air scrubbers in this particular quadrant right. because the company was corrupt or you or all that ice they're hauling back they didn't get enough of a share of it uh, and so now they don't have yep. the water they need out there or you have a destructive pissing match between earth and mars that destroys the bread belt of the again uh, 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 of the the bread belt of the belt and start now thousands are starving the proto molecule like yeah like they have gone through, I mean, they've, they've gone through a lot of shit and there's a real anger and a real injustice. And you see how callous and how non-serious Avasarala took this at the beginning of the series, you know, mm-hmm. like how she thought she had the supreme moral high ground when she's torturing some belter, you know, with gravity and whatnot. And you see these attitudes over a hundred plus years and you know what, what they turned into. And it's the thing is, it's just like, it's, it's not even fiction. It's it's this is just uh, you know filing the serial numbers off of history and repackaging it in space for sure. So that's why it works so well. It's, it's yeah, uh, and why I feel so fucking timely, man. Yeah, I, I just I just show so good. Uh, and uh, there are just a lot of really cool moments in here. Like the, one of the coolest things in the whole episode is that spider bot that comes in to crack uh, <sighs> crack Fred's safe out of the wall. Or the floor, yeah, crack, crack, the wall. I don't jaw know. out of a skull. Like it, I, like yeah. I don't. Is how fucked up is he going to be taking that? Uh, you know, five ton bench press. You know, bench press punch to the face. It, yeah, I wouldn't be want to be robo punched for sure. No, uh, no. It, but that was super cool. All right, let's get into uh, the episode recap. Uh, we start off with Alex and Bobby following the bar Keith uh, in what is now the Screaming Firehawk. Uh, I love how they change the the subtitle there or the the caption from uh, you know the what was, what was the the Razorback to uh, the Screaming Fire Razorback. Hawk. Yeah, very cool. Is this a because I this um this is like a in universe joke because that's what Alex wanted to call the Rasinante at first, and also that's was the unofficial nickname for the the fan campaign to save the Expanse and. Uh, I know Cass Anvar was kind of like, in, you know, in, in the center of that or towards the center. And, and I imagine this would have been an even cooler moment had it not been for the whole disgraceful uh, conduct. Uh, casting a little bit of Paul on the old Screaming Firehawks. But maybe not. Maybe that's the fans. It has nothing. You know, it's uh, uh, don't let don't let uh, Anvar's bullshit ruin it for you. If, if uh, yeah. that's something you take pride in in that label. Yeah. Don't fucking don't let f- someone ruin it for you. But uh, still, it's a bummer. I think it's still cool. Uh, so Alex is bothered that Bobby isn't bothered by the Martian betrayal uh, and the, the tearing down of Mars here. Uh, Bobby tells him the story of her pet rat dying as advice on how to deal with Mars's death. Uh, the ships they're following begin to move off course, and then they get an emergency alert and see the news of the devastating attack on Earth. I like this because we talked about how Alex kind of has to go through in high speed what Bobby's been dealing with. I don't even know what the timeline is here. Are we like uh, six months to a year past where we were um, post-election? could be. I thought... um, Seems like we're well with when in the Gao regime era. You know, this isn't like, you know, inauguration stuff. Like, she's, she's got everything spun up. She's going on missions and whatnot, so... Um, yeah, in the book, it's like six months or so um, is how long the work on the Rossi is going to take. Okay. And if they can get that thing out of dry dock in any uh, in any real way, um, it's got to be a few months at least. 
And there was like, what, 11 to nine months of travel time from Illus back to the gate and from probably the gate to oh, Tycho yeah. Station. So how wrong about that? You know, all all that, all that. That's what it felt like, because also it takes, it'd take a long time for Bobby to build up that operation. Uh, the Her boss's family uh, is two weeks away from their colony ship. And we know there's transit time for that. So that, there's a lot of it. There's but but he you know, she's had some time to process it. She's had time to build that coffin, by the way. Did Bobby just confess to burying her rat alive in the Martian soil? Like, she didn't say that she waited for the the rat to die. She said <laughs> that she cried her. It. She said she cried her eyes out until she got tired of doing it, and then put it in a box just so not for the rat, but for her. And I'm like, okay, I don't like, think that's you not in, it alive. No, that's not entirely entirely inconsistent with my conceptualization of Bobby, but. uh Kind of fucking cold. Kind of fucking cold to do your rat that your tumor ridden rat that way, Bobby. Also, I don't um, unless you have like little rat spacesuits. I don't know how you bury a rat alive in the Martian soil. I guess you could bury it in a, bo- a sealed box with atmosphere in it, but like yeah, yeah, you have like <laughs> you have a miniature rat sized environmental unit like what uh, <laughs> what what yeah. uh, Monica had in her shipping container. It's the same thing, just scaled down for a rat. You know, sure. Uh, Maybe she buried in a box full of that liquid, uh, breathable atmosphere from the abyss. Okay, there you the go. The hydrofluora corbin- carbons or whatever. Oh, yeah. Uh, anyway, enough rat bullshit aside. Um, I thought it was interesting that Alex... Alex said he gets this really thoughtful look on his face and says something to to effect that like he starts thinking about his son and how like he's going to have trouble processing, you know, the death of Mars and how he hopes this he had someone to talk him through that. And it got my wheel spinning like, um, does Alex die before the series is over? Because like it felt like foreshadowing because there was a, the camera kind of pan significantly to Bobby's face. Like, is she literally going to have to play that role or is it more of Alex thinking I need to repair my relationship with my son because he's going to need somebody? He's going to need some kind of life raft or something um, to help him process that. I need to start taking that shit seriously. I, I don't know. I mean, I assume uh, he thinks he could die at any moment given the the danger that he's been in throughout this series and the danger that he's still constantly in like i mean I, what last episode he was drugged and and kidnapped and you know mm-hmm. beaten for uh information it's yeah he's doing some dangerous shit i, I assume he could think he it's might true. not be around long Plus, just being out in the black you know it's a, it's a dangerous place the other thing we found out in this um that i didn't you know, sir, I didn't expect is that there was a coordinated attack on the Martian parliament, some kind of bombing that happened exactly at the same time or co- very close to the same time that the asteroid impacted Earth. So really, uh, all the well wallas getting sorted out this episode by Marco. Yeah. Um, and the news is, you know, asking questions about is this all connected? They they give a number for like uh, how large the explosion or how much energy uh, was in the, the rock hitting Earth. And it's two to three hundred yeah. kilotons, which is a very big explosion, um, but not in the megaton range, because that's what I, I thought that someone right. said that it could be like between five and ten megatons, which is a truly mm-hmm. horrific explosion. Like, Jesus. Yeah, um, it's not not quite there. Um, yeah. But, but still, damn. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I like this scene a lot because, um, especially how it ends, because this scene is, you know, Alex grappling with the loss of Mars and and beginning that grieving process. And then he's hit with the news that Earth is also 
under attack, right? He might also lose Earth. And it's not like Mar- like Alex cares that much about Earth, but now you're talking about like the entirety of the human civilization under attack right now. Uh, yeah. It's it's a scary thing. And they do, they do that Plus, one-two punch a, a couple of times in the show, yeah. which I, I really appreciate. Plus, it's just it's just uh you know um if you hear that tomorrow Russia got nuked and like ten million Russian citizens are dead, number one, just your humanity, the scale of that atrocity would you know whether you're intellectually opposed against whatever the Russian people and their government whatever it'd just be a Jesus Christ oh my God also yeah. what's going to happen next? That's mm-hmm. such a huge destabilizing event, you know, like look at, uh, you know, some countries lose a couple thousand people and go and, and lose their mind and go on a rampage. Like, what do you do when there's 10 million of your citizens dead? Like, it's just, you know, like every, I, I thought that was one of the coolest parts of the episodes is just seeing kind of everyone process what this means in real time, like the different reactions, the civilians, yeah. the, the the leaders reactions. It's all because this this literally changes everything. Uh and it's going to it's yeah. going to make life difficult at best for for everyone trying to make a living out here um, in 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 space. And I just I, you know I I being alive in two thousand one I know exactly how it feels that that one two punch of like something bad has happened. Okay, it's bad. It's not like affecting me personally a ton right now. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing happens, and you're like. Oh shit! What is what is actually going on here? How how big is this going to get? Yeah. How like yeah. now I'm starting to get even concerned. Over. Sitting in Indianapolis sure. watching something in New York happening. So like yeah, it's I I felt that viscerally when when all these characters are getting these one two punches like Naomi at it the is. end. I I yeah. understood that. And you just feel like, you know, like a, the, a page of history is being turned and it's momentous um, uh, above and beyond everything that's just happening. It's just like, yeah, it's 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 wild. I thought they captured that really well. All right. Then Amos goes to see someone in prison. Well, we're about to find out who it is. I don't know why I'm being coy. They take his jacket and his personal items and lead him to the pit, which is an area of the prison designed for body modded prisoners. And there he meets with Claire, Clarissa Mal. They talk about the events on Illus. Uh, she's on blocker drugs to keep her mods from going active uh, and is living a pretty miserable existence by her account. Uh, Amos explains that he's here to help her, though she doesn't think she can really be helped. And then an alarm goes off, the ceiling cracks, and the power goes out. Uh, what, what, what was your reaction when you found out who he was going to see on this planet? I thought... This is going to be a character beat like for Amos that he's going to visit her and she's going to tell him something or his her state is going to be so wretched that he it's going to um, it's going to be one of those instances where he saves somebody on Earth and he's not going to be able to save somebody on Earth. And then that's going to those experiences are going to change him in some way. Mm-hmm. Um then when the rock started hitting and the the lights went out, I'm like, oh, this is actually going to turn into a set piece. But like, where does it go? Uh, <laughs> is like, is everyone going to be plausibly in like uh, going to be killed and, and Melba's going to sneak aboard? Uh, not Melba. Um, I guess that. Yeah, it's her old cover name. That's sure. how she got the name Peaches, by the way, uh, if you forgot. Uh, is is she going to be able to like stow away with the Rasananti? Is Holden going to be? on board with that like what 
yeah, where, ex- yeah, where does this go? What is that? Yeah, what is, is she going to be on board with that? Like, it's, it's a crazy situation. And I had no, like, is, is, is this, this happens in the book? Yeah. Amos, okay. Amos' stuff 100% from the book so far. Yeah, I, I, that was a giant surprise for me. I was shocked that that's who he was visiting. Um, I guess I was expecting, um, someone we'd never met before, someone from his past. Sure. And then when she showed up, I'm like, oh, well, it's going to be some kind of stepping stone to character development. And now it seems like he's stuck there um, for at least some time. And in a situation where it's like I can kind of squint and see, all right, there's a way out of this where she's declared dead on Earth. And, you know, the Ross and I's got all kinds of connections and all kinds of like probably un- dirty paperwork guys and get her a fake basic card. And all. I-, I don't know. But but to what end? Why is that interesting? You know? Uh, James Holden's former attempted murderer is going to be serving with them on the crew. Like what, what the fuck? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it was interesting. I remember feeling that they didn't set it up nearly as well in the book as they did in the show. Um, Cause here I sort of, there, there's at least a connection between those two. I don't remember that being in the book and maybe I just, I'm hmm. forgetting it, but yeah, I was, I was a little surprised when I read that, you know, Amos was going to meet Claire because it didn't, I, I didn't see the value in it either. Um, it, it's, it, they're clearly here drawing some parallels between uh, Claire and Amos, right? They've both done bad things. They both have had to come to terms with the things that they've done to, well, in Amos's case to survive, but in Claire's case, she just did some bad shit because she wanted to do some bad shit, essentially. Yeah, she um, let her she let herself get all twisted up and uh, in denial about the mo- monstrous nature of her father's crimes, essentially. And I think that's what she means when she says, you know, not every stain can come out. Like this is something she thinks she deserves. Uh, and she killed a lot of people. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's pretty. Yeah, yeah, people who who didn't need to die, people who weren't necessarily bad people. Like there's. And I get it. Amos has killed a lot of people. And I think that's one that's like, it's like a statement on the churn, right? That like he's a little bit higher in the churn column than her. And she might be sinking to the very bottom. But yeah. uh, and you he know. mostly kills people who who have it coming uh, in one way or another. But yeah, I, I don't know. They're, they're probably doing he's rolling with Holden. I don't think that's always been the case, though. I feel like, you know, Amos does what he's told. Um, oh, you're right. I don't yeah. know. Back yeah, he definitely Baltimore. had lines he wouldn't cross, right? Even back in Baltimore, because that's the, what he said to uh, was it Charles about mm-hmm. like uh, I thought that was a great line. Uh, you, well, you can't you can't judge what people do to make rent, and Amos like, oh, you absolutely can. Yeah. You know, um, is that an attitude a, he's adopted? Child sex slave. Now, yeah, I think or is that an attitude he he had adopted years ago back in Baltimore? I feel like that's the thing. Like, if you buy the relationship with his adopted mother, you have to think that there was some like as 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 much as people call him a psychopath and a sociopath, you have to think that he had that moral code. Maybe he didn't always stay true to it because you know knowing better doesn't necessarily mean you're always going to do better. Sure, um, especially if you're as traumatized as a, a guy as Amos. But like, yeah, I guess that's my th- opinion. Is that I always I don't know. Maybe I'm too much of an Amos fanboy, but I always thought it's a little bit overblown all the talk of him being a psychopath and all that. Like, you know, or a yeah. sociopath. And, and you know, he makes a a point here that it's not just her fault for the things she's done. You know, though I would argue she bears the brunt of it. Uh, it's also the world's fault. You know, for making her that way. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. Not entirely but also wrong, like, but you know, doesn't absolve her sins either. Right. It's also one of those things where it really recalibrates what I think of Earth because this is not what I would call justice. Um, hmm. 
you know, like keeping someone confined like this essentially the rest of their life. And I also thought it was really weird where like just just solitary confinement can drive a person crazy. She's been going through this for maybe a year, but probably longer, honestly, is before they went out to Illis. So several years and she just seems kind of like tired and dopey. But like the idea that you just keep a person in like a six, uh, like a three by three cube and just have them drugged up all the time, mm-hmm. you know, get it's 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 a commentary in solitary confinement, but it's it, it, it it's a little they had this term in Warhammer 40K grim dark, which is like, you know, this this idea that the, the, the world doesn't value human life and that's fucked up and that's part of the things you like about it. But then there's an informal term called grim derp which is where they go pile on the darkness so much that it becomes like a self parody. And that's what I felt about Melba in this like little, little cage strapped to this, this chair kept doped up. Like does this really, this is, this is, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't, it, 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 it felt weird that, uh, and some people would volunteer to be down here. Like why? Yeah. Well, that's why the thing. Is, like at this point, that's her living her best life because the other option is she get these implants taken worse. out with a surgery that, ruins her i yeah, yeah yeah i don't know uh that's the thing is like maybe they they make that make more a lot, a lot of times when some of those questions i have when i read the books it makes a little bit more sense because now i'm thinking yeah. like that wasn't like she did that like like on the black market she didn't go to like a high-priced plastic surgeon to have it done nice and neat that's kind of been like a back alley body modification that is very hard to undo but damn it just seems like such a such a terrible place to be that it makes you feel bad about Earth, you know, like, <laughs> sure, we in 400 years in the future. This is the way we treat criminals. We haven't figured out a better way. Holy shit. All right. Uh, let's move on to Avasarla. Uh, Avasarala. I don't know. I don't know how the, book they say her in the say show. It. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Avasarala uh, she is. She's trying to get a hold of the, the, the higher powers there, the UNN, to warn them that they're under attack when uh, Delgado tells her that another rock has hit. And uh, she tries to call Gao on UN1. And I don't know how far into this you want to go. Um, we, we then head over to Gao. She's getting this this update on the asteroid action. She refuses to go to Luna um, for, for safety as she deals with this crisis. And then Avasarla, uh, no one's picking up the phone up on UN1. And so she gets a hold of the chef that still, uh, I guess, hasn't blocked her number yet <laughs> uh, and has him bring a data pad to Gao, sit it down in front of her and finally gets a message to her, says, look, this is an attack. Uh, Gao seems very receptive to some advice at this moment. Uh, and Avasarla tells her, hey, the Watchtower can can detect these things. They're stealth rocks with Martian tech. Point it over there, link all this uh, Sentinel system to the Watchtower's um, so she does it. She thanks Avasarla, and then there's this another attack, uh, another rock hits, and it just obliterates you in one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's three rocks that hit now. Um, At one, so one on the coast the of third. Africa, one in north of Philly, uh, and then you they she they said that she was in Southeast Asia, so okay. something over there in like the maybe the Indian Ocean or, or whatever. Uh, what luck, you know, that you took out, uh, the, you, you essentially decapitate the entire UN government. Um, 
you know, with all these yeah. kind of more or less, I imagine random, like they, there's no way that they could, well, maybe they can with sophisticated orbital analysis. You can like determine exactly where these things are going to hit and win. Yeah, but, uh, but where will Gal be in any moment? I mean, I guess she that's was the thing. She was just off on some junket, but maybe yeah. they knew about but, that. I mean, maybe the Philadelphia one was supposed to destroy the, the UN headquarters, like, uh, or at least disrupt it. Um, I imagine you have I to plan it, uh, slamming Earth with rocks pretty far in advance. <laughs> It probably right. takes a while to launch a rocket Earth. Sure. But but that's the... Th- yeah, I just thought that... Um, I admire her for not wanting to leave. You know, that's like the impulse. But on the other hand, like, is low Earth orbit really leaving the planet? Have you abandoned Earth if you're in low Earth orbit? And you're also out of yeah. reach of just atmospheric turbulence snapping your... You know, slapping your, your plane down. Mm-hmm. But um, it's a great scene. This is, I, I, this is some of my favorite stuff. Like um, I remember uh, there's a plot a lot like this in the Tom Clancy Jack Ryan series, not the TV, but the books where Jack Ryan's pissed off the president so much that uh, none of you know, they, they got a three seconds to midnight situation. From the Soviet premiere, they're all about to launch nukes and Jack Ryan can't get into the room with the evidence that it's all a terrorist misunderstanding plot Damn. and just the, the frustration. I thought that they might. I thought they might make more of a meal of it, honestly, because it seems like, uh, you know, she just went right to the chef. That's clever, by uh-huh. the way. Um, and uh, uh, hopefully it works out and that guy doesn't end up, uh, you know, signed to one of the pits. Uh, <laughs> the poor chef, the poor ma- 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 macaron chef. Oh, he's done. He's uh, gone. Dead, man. Oh, God, you're his right. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Unless it's he's got just, a, yeah, it's not some kind of real good golden parachute. I doubt it. Yeah, he's like Steven Seagal in Under Siege. He's actually a former Navy SEAL. He was able to get into an escape pod in a split second, mm-hmm. and and uh, he's going to vow revenge. But, um, yeah. Yeah, and I also thought, like, you know, I was reeling by this point in the episode. Like, holy shit. Uh, my first question is, are they going to get the things tasked, or is this going to, like, be the thing? Is this going to be it? Earth is just going to take hit after hit after hit. I'm actually kind of yeah. amazed that they got that order relayed, because it was, like, 10 seconds later yeah it was quick um but she got wiped off the face of the the earth damn she's in an emergency situation you know they they have yeah. good response times when shit like this is going on i guess that's true uh and the, the the secretary general says jump you jump yeah especially when you're talking about the defense of planet earth yeah i mean she's certainly dead right there's no chance that like gal's gonna come back she's oh, her plane no. came came apart <laughs> No, like and like I said, like it'd be one thing if um, it was something like Air Force One where you saw like Secret Service hustling her towards some kind of armored pod in the center. But she was just right. standing in a conference room. Mm-hmm. Nah, there's no fucking way. She's dead. OK, cool. Uh, maybe the chef, maybe maybe the Navy, ex-Navy SEAL, the Terran Marine SEAL uh, chef <laughs> is going to get out. But that's that's it. <laughs> uh, anything else you want to talk about with these three scenes or? Uh, I don't think so. It's good, good stuff. Okay. Um, so then we go over to Holden and Fred watching this container that the Zamiya is going to be picking up while Bull and his guys are hiding inside. There's some kind of uh, disturbance on Tycho Station and Monica sees the the devastation on Earth happening on the news. Holden detects a trap and tells everyone to get out. But uh, then the trap springs. Sakai shoots Fred in the back. She runs off. Uh, mm. she, she's joined by a couple other belters. They leave on a shuttle. Tycho Station gets hit with a drop pod and Fred 
tells Holden as as he's bleeding out uh, that the protomolecule sample is in his quarters and to stop them from getting it. So Holden goes after it and Fred is moved to another part of the station with gravity. This is another one where like I'm just reeling because uh, I was already processing like, oh, my God, Bull might get killed here. Uh, oh, God, Fred's bleeding. What the shit's going on here? Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, you start to get the sick feeling when the uh, Zamea starts doing something weird. And then there's an attack on the reactor control room. And it's like, oh, God, this mm-hmm. is and it just turns into this 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 shit show. Um, yeah. And uh, the, the fact that so much of Fred's team, you know, we knew is an inside job. So how much of his personal security detail is in on it? Mm-hmm. Uh and, and I got to say, like, you, you mentioned this last last episode, the last three episodes, but they was one of the most ultimate in gravity optional filming. This establishing shot of like going down and you see someone like eating their lunch, what you think is on the floor. But then the camera twists and someone's walking below her. And it's yeah. like I, I really love how they continue to push. Like, I feel like and, and maybe it's even the truth. I feel like almost every single thing I've complained about in the previous four seasons, and it's always been minor, like, hey, you guys do a really good job, but I wish you'd tighten up X, Y, and Z. Like, I really feel like they're they're really doing that. And uh, it's yeah. like just a little stuff, like Avastrala pouring the, the booze in, in low Martian gravity and the f- idea that up and down and side to side are like kind of relative concepts in space. It really is selling it. It's so much more immersive than in previous seasons. Yeah, for sure. Um I'll, I'll I'll do a little non-spoiler thing here. I've I've seen another episode and they have a moment in there that I have been specifically wanting to see uh, them do some effects work on and they do it. And I'm super hmm. happy to see that. So yeah, they're, they're making an effort here. And it, you know, like you said, this is like completely superfluous, right? They don't have to do this establishing shot with the spinning hallway and all that. Uh, it does, I guess, help to let you know what part of the station they're in because there are parts of the station that do have gravity. Yeah, um, yeah. It, which is why they say get Fred to a place with gravity. gravity you know, so I, I, if you didn't know the blood, the clouds of blood floating around him, that's that's happening in zero G. Yeah. Right, right. And we saw what happens in zero G with internal bleeding in uh, in previous seasons, right? In the, the spin the yeah. drum, that, that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it... it it really just makes it feel more immersive and they don't have to do it, but they do. And it feels better. And it works so much because like in previous seasons, it always when there'd there'd be a zero G centric scene, they'd always nail it. But then like most of the time when people are still under zero G, the actors would not sell that in their performance and always kind of took me out of the moment. Like, Mm -hmm. Hey guys, just because you know, it's, it's, it's not just when the blue screens are out and you guys are in wire harnesses that you're actually weightless. And now like, I feel like people just a little stuff like people getting shot and dying in their boots and going limp. Like they do just a better job of that kind of acting. The, the person I feel worst for like, okay, yeah, Fred gets shot. Um, and then bull almost gets blown up. But the person I feel worst for is Monica. Because Monica's seeing this stuff happening on the news and she is missing the biggest story in the system right now. Mm-hmm. It's happening on Earth. She's not there mm-hmm. to report it. Uh, maybe she's on to something bigger. I don't know with the protomolecule stuff, but we'll we'll see. I mean, that seems like it's it's pretty like it's like uh, it's a multi front war. I will say that, like, I lost a little bit of respect for Fred. 
because I really didn't think he was stupid enough to keep the proto molecule on Tycho. Maybe because they always make it seem like Tycho's the safest place to be because they donate so much money to both Mars and Earth that anyone that dare attack them would have the wrath of God coming down. But unfortunately, yeah. when uh, no one, when we people stop being afraid of that might of Earth and Mars, uh, you know, you're just a giant sitting duck. So I, I was thinking that they would be on some kind of secret asteroid research station or something like that. Just yeah. being in your office, man. Did he have like uh, just the, the luggage code of one, two, three, four, lock in the safe? Like what? Come on. Uh-huh. How lazy can you be to keep this stuff uh, that that close to you? But keep your friends close and your protomolecule samples closer. <laughs> I, it just doesn't seem like anyone saw this giant change in, uh, you know, like Marco said, you know, he's no longer dreaming small. Like uh, he's not going to do terrorist attacks against his own people. He's going to do big decisive ones against inners. And no one saw that kind of coming. No one saw the like the belt just throwing caution to the wind and taking on Earth and Mars and their uh, their proxies like to Tycho Station head on. But by God, he did. And it uh, it's, it's, uh, it's bad news. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, in the book, this same attack happens, um, and Holden and Fred are talking about it before it happens. Uh, just it, Holden's got a wind of maybe some kind of mole, uh, something going on on the station, uh, and they're talking about the possibility of that. And Fred, Fred talks about how he is well aware that not everybody is 100% loyal to him, but that he sort of has you know, backup plans on top of backup plans. And this right. made him look like he didn't really have much of a plan. Uh, and so I was, you know, I was also a little bit disappointed in Fred's uh, strategic sense uh, in this episode. Yeah, well, it's like the great philosopher Michael Tyson once said, everyone's got a plan to get punched in the face. So <laughs> maybe Fred did have his plans, the but they didn't times. account for torpedoes through the hangar bay and, you know, Fair. drop pods and spider bots, all that kind of shit. Yeah. Um, let's talk about I the did, spider bots. Spe- speaking of sick, before we get to there, speaking of sick anti-gravity, holding snatching the gun floating out of air, uh, I thought was really, really cool. Yeah. A lot of little moments. I would like love. I, I would like to get the Blu-rays to see how they actually pulled that off because it looked like a physical gun, but it was spinning realistically. Um, you know, I thought I thought it was pretty amazing. Uh, okay, so spider bot time. Uh, a robot, a spider bot, enters Fred's quarters and grabs his safe. Um, security's not responding, so Holden busts into Fred's quarters and tries to stop the robot before getting robo punched by it. Uh, they escape <laughs> with the sample. Um, and Holden and Monica barely escape with their lives, capturing Sakai in the process. Uh, the real hero in the scene, the real hero of the day, is Spider-Bot. Monica. Well, uh, I mean, other yeah, than yeah, for sure. Monica saves Holden's life two times in as many minutes. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, kind of incredible. Really brings the pain. And I, I I actually like the spider bot the way I mean I'm anthropomorphizing it, but like the way it like holds the protomolecule over its head and the like triumphants, it's like uh <laughs> I got it, guys, Link and I Zelda. Da 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 and then the way it like shifts it to walk through a door like ultra precise. I, it's something about that just I thought there's something kind of funny in in this uh just workmanlike way this robot goes about its business. And I love um, the battle between this the the bot and Holden. Like he's everybody's yeah. shooting it, and I, I love how invulnerable it is to gunfire because it would be right. Like you're not going to yeah. shoot this thing. There's no 
exposed hoses that you can cause spring a leak in or something it would be like shooting it'd be like shooting a bulldozer i know that there were are weak points on a bulldozer where you might be able to save disable its hydraulics or whatever right. but good luck keeping it ro- keeping it from rolling man uh with small arms and, fire. and that's the thing like a bulldozer yeah you roughly know okay it's got it's got a wheels and it's got you know where do you shoot a spider bot to disable it like, where's the circuitry that I can break a chip on that will actually cause it yeah. to stop moving? Nowhere. This video game would have a flashing red piece that I know is the weak point. But in real life, yeah, right. you just and I, I like the Holden's is kind of like just trying to methodically break it down. Like, well, this isn't happening. I, you know, I'm going to try to, you know, go medieval on and get a spear and jam it into some of its works, which I actually and thought it, it might work. It yeah, does until for like it gets a punched, split second. Yeah. Like a spider punch. The big question I have, though, and we talked about this last episode. Who the fuck wants Monica and why? Why is she so damn important to Sa- uh, Sakia? Sa- uh, what's her name? Yeah. Sakai. Why are is she so important that they're going to take her alive yet again? Take the time to put her in a suit? Because if I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, maybe it was never the plan to get her. But then why? Why keep her alive in that crate? I. I know that. No, it absolutely is. Now this has happened twice. Like there is something about and I almost I had this crazy theory. It's like, uh, what do we know about blind guy with the finger implants? Is he like Marco's number two? Oh and he's just this is like pulling, pulling some her. like really deep. Yeah. Deep state strings or something. I, I don't oh. know because it just doesn't make sense. She's just a reporter. Agreed. Yeah. You know, um, kind of a high profile reporter. But, you know, I'm trying to think of her connections. She's like she's connected to Holden in a weird way. Um Holden's connected to Naomi. Naomi is connected to Marco. I, I don't know, man. I I have my, like my only th- tons of questions about that. My only thing is she's got like this reputation as like a truth deal, like from all of her experiences reporting on the sides and how she was in a radio free ring zone state and like, uh, you know, one of the early voices in the the ring station. Like maybe she's got this like Walter Cronkite esque reputation that if. If Marco thinks he can get her and like issue press statements that it will come have some gravitas because he seems like he's pretty politically smart. Maybe, you know, but I, I don't see it. Uh, but I mean, That's the only thing I, I really don't see it. Sending out his own broadcast by the end of this episode. I don't I don't know what value he would see in her. But yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe you're on to something. Uh, a little Easter egg here with this spider bot uh, before we totally leave this scene. Uh, did you notice that it's it's created by Savage Industries? Sa- oh, is that an Adam Savage? Which is Adam Savage's, yeah, a little... As uh, soon as you... Because I wrote it down, even Savage. I was like, because it's like in the style of the Stark Industries, and I thought they were having some kind of fun like that, like gotcha. a made-up fictional. But like, yeah, Sa- of course, Adam Savage, who famously died mm-hmm. in the Arborgast disaster, uh, pre-Ring Gate. Yeah, they, they, they memorialized him. Pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, speaking of memorializing people, Fred's dead, baby. Fred is dead. They close his eyes and everything. Like I said, they don't they don't quite shoot Lots him out of torpedo, torpedo casing. Tube, yeah, <laughs> they might as well have. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And uh, like I said earlier, it's it's shocking to me that he's dead at this point because I thought he still had stuff to do <laughs> in this show. But yeah, I especially guess not. since like in this show, like with the medical technology, I just figured that you know I've seen plenty of main characters shot in the stuff, and you know they get into gravity, they slap the arm cuff on them, they're going to be fine. You know, you can regrow fingers, yeah. you can do all this stuff. Like if they can get him stabilized and then when he just kind of bled out. Yeah, I yeah, I I I, I wasn't prepared for it. Yeah, it I mean, was it, I, I needed a moment. I, I guess the thing we have to remember is that they are they are under siege at this moment. Right. 
and that they don't have a lot of loyal resources on the station. So maybe it's hard to even tell who you can trust as far as patching Fred up. But also, they're not on a Martian gunship that has like ex- uh, excellently equipped medical facilities. They're out on a Belter station, essentially. That's true. It's, it's like one of the best a... Belter stations. But but you'd still think like, oh, because we've seen like the kind of trauma you can get just mining ice, you know, limbs getting ripped off and decompression, all that. You'd think they would have a That's pretty true. well-equipped trauma center like yeah maybe not like on a gunboat of the of, of the the martian navy but something that could save you you know from, yeah you're right but he did get he also got shot like half a dozen times right in the chest that's pretty bad for sure um and then they didn't i guess want to shoot him in the head so we wouldn't know in that scene that he was actually dead um but mm. if they had shot him in the head i would have been like okay done yeah and so- man, Saka, I like the 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 bitterness and hate that she's just ta- you know go from I, giving oh. j- holding the good guy discount count to like too bad, so sad, you all lose. I, I hated her so much in that moment, but I know, but that's what happens. And you know, the other to. thing is when when he dies, like you know, Holden gets this dreamy stare into the distance and says, "We must finish the work that he started." I think that's interesting because before. Holden kind of was a free agent, tried to stay kind of like pox on everyone's houses. Everyone's full of shit. Everyone's kind of corrupt. Like I can work with these. But like, I wonder if he's going to take a little bit more of a side. Um, but I don't know. It's pretty easy to side against Marco. You know, like it's yeah, like, it's, it's pretty beyond the pale launching uh, asteroids at people and murdering people in cold blood and, and taking on higher system hold, hostage with proto molecule. It's like. But this is super interesting in the context of Holden, uh, what he means to this system, right? Like he's yeah, he's the the hero of Eros. Um, like he's he's got this reputation for not picking sides, and and so if he goes up against Marco here, you're going to have a large portion, at least, of the belt that is going to turn on him. And if they haven't already, you know, I mean, there's. His reputation in the the system is very interesting and and intricate. It's like right? a it's like a Che Guevara. Only everybody sees him as that kind of like outside rebel truth teller. You know, speaking truth to power, resisting and the- stepping into Fred's shoes has the potential to change that in a lot of people's yeah. eyes. In Earther's eyes, in Belter's eyes, uh, Martians probably aren't going to give a shit very much, but. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's, a, it's a thing when we're talking about like, you know, we're eulogizing Fred Johnson because we like Fred and he's made a lot of changes. But, you know, a lot of belters, he's going to be the Butcher of Anderson station and no tears will be and no tears will be shed. Uh, yeah. He's an inner. And that's just a that's just a fact of life. You know, whether you deserve it or not, you know, the 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 your actions kind of uh, follow you around. Uh, so Avasarla tries to contact Arjun, but she's getting no response. Uh, no one is sure who's in charge at this point, but the watchtowers are looking out for more rocks. Delgado apologizes for not fighting hard enough to back her up uh, when they thought it was an attack, and he invites her to accompany him to a bar where everyone else is trying to deal with the news. Uh, at that bar, they get a call about another rock that the watchtowers picked up, and they all watch out the window as that rock is destroyed, thankfully, by planetary defenses. Pop, pop. I don't know what that purple shit they shot at it, but it sure did the trick on the asteroid. Yeah. Just, it just erased it. That's the Sentinel system. Uh, that, yeah, it must be. You know, defends Earth. 
protects protects against uh, I, rocks. And, I, uh, it's cool that, that you can watch that happen from Luna, I guess, too. <laughs> sure. Yeah, they were in, in the right position to do that, I guess. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They they do something here that is really cool with the, the visuals. Um, actually, they did it at the beginning of the episode, too. They they show us the watchtower, but it's in this profile and it's against the inky blackness of space or, or you know, right. the star field. And you can't even right. see it at first. It's yeah. just like, it's, it's another black blob, like everything. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they spin mm-hmm. the camera around and you see, oh, this is a, you know, a dish of some kind. Uh, they do that at the yeah. beginning too with the, the, the Razorback or Screaming Firehawk where mm-hmm. they just kind of show a shot of space and you're like, what am I looking at here? And then, mm-hmm. The, this pinpoint of light that is the pinnace comes flying into frame and you're like, oh, yeah, God, I didn't even see yeah. that until it was on me. It really gives you that feeling of the vastness of space and just how small everybody is in it. It, it does. It, yeah, the way they shoot space is a lot like how they shoot the ocean in like the Master and Commander film where it's huh. like you really get the idea of, uh, you know, it is this scary thing that you really have very little control of and things hide in it and there be dragons and whatnot. Um, and yeah. they play a lot or they pl- they're playing a lot with that. This, uh, you know, cat and mouse games you can play. Mm-hmm. Um, that's essentially broadly speaking what the Razorback is doing. I think it's all really fascinating. It's, it's yeah, and it, it does feel like Age of Sail combined with submarine technology. For sure. Yeah. Um, it's uh, I, I think that shit's fascinating. Uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, Avasarla, what Nancy Gao said to her is, uh, coming true here. She does save a bunch of lives, probably millions of lives by catching this rock. Um, yeah, there was at least attack. seven more coming, right? Uh, yeah, we saw at least eight, probably nine, I think was I the I thought number. it was nine when I, I counted the I numbers because right. I, w- I watched the episode a third time after we covered it just, uh, cause when they came out, the thing, the thing about the screeners resolution not as good as the release copy and no so subtitles. it's always cool and no subtitles so it's always cool uh to go back and watch it in uh in, in full crystal hd yeah for sure um so then naomi is taken to marco's ship they spar with words for a little while uh marcus then says that philip brought her here not him and marco shows her what he's done to earth he claims that the belters are free now and has her taken to her quarters after welcoming her home. And then he sends out this broadcast proclaiming he's the commander of the Belter uh, Free Navy, which now has the protomolecule, and that he's rebooting humanity without corruption, greed, or hatred. And I had to pause here because I was laughing so hard. Uh, and that the belt is now free. Yep. Yep. He's going to, you know, essentially, hey, we're not, we're not saying you guys can't exist. You just can't leave your... Uh, atmospheric containment um and uh you're going to you're 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 i it's big words i i do question like how many ships he has uh can he really stand against the full might of both mars and earth um because man this is like it's a fine line be, be, be from being like the most wanted terrorist in the world or the solar system and being the most dead one because you know like sure. uh uh, you know, we've seen with our terrorists, like they can they can do a big attack, but then it's essentially hiding in caves for one to ten years until inevitably someone finds you and kills you. Like you make one fucking mistake in your signal security or your movement patterns and uh, mm-hmm. you're going to die. And that's if you have sovereign nations kind of assisting you and helping you out and all that stuff like I don't know. I mean, space, it's a big place, especially now you got right. a thousand systems to flee to. But like 
it's one thing to make this claim. It's another to hold it. And I wonder if he has another trick up his sleeve along the lines of stealth asteroids that we don't even know about. Uh, I guess the protomolecule, that's the ultimate thing. If you fuck, like, yeah, I don't have the Navy to take you on, but if you fuck with me, I'm launching a protomolecule at all, both your planets. Right. Uh, it's a, yeah, you think it's rocks a James are bad? Bond, it's a James Bond villain plot, essentially, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So what do you do? What do you do? Because we saw last season Avasarala trying to do a decapitation strike that goes horribly wrong. This time you do that shit, and it's not just a PR disaster. It's an ecological disaster. It's potentially the end of your home world. Fuck. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I don't know. Big, big questions raised in these first four episodes about the future of the system here. Yeah. I think book readers, I know I, I certainly was happy to see it. This is the introduction of the Pella, which is Marco's flagship, um, mm. the flagship of the Free Navy and the the ship that he kind of considers his own personal one. Although he says, you know, I have many ships. I, you know, I love this. I This is such a good scene between Marco and Naomi uh, and Philip gets pulled into it by the end. Uh, it shows you the, the dynamic... Uh, influencer, let's say, and, and you know he's. Uh, I mean, Marco is obviously on Instagram, but uh, he's he's also starting up his TikTok account next week, so look for that. Uh, but he <laughs> he's a very dynamic influencer. When he speaks with people, he's able to get. I don't. I don't know. Use subtle language and subtle uh, conversational cues and emotional cues to dig at people and put them on their back foot, like. When he when he's talking to Naomi, she mentions like, oh, you know, warships are not the way to do this. And he's like, oh, you know, funny coming from someone who has her own warship. Uh, right. And then the, the way he like demeans or infantilizes Philip um, during this conversation, there, there's there's a moment. I, I can't remember what he says, but he makes him sound like a little boy. Yeah, I thought he was. I thought weak. he I thought my son was a man, but apparently he's a boy that needs his mama. As, as the, right, the, right, the, and, the, and then he goes on. It. You know, who can blame him for that? Right, it, he he has this way of like right. pointing things out that are very insulting, and then couching them in language that makes you feel like maybe he didn't mean to hurt me here. It's just right. It, it, it's so subtle, and and this is what they do with Marco in the book that makes him such a good villain. Is mm-hmm. he's able to manipulate people almost effortlessly. He's a master manipulator. Yeah. Yeah, you, 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 my my ears picked up when you because I didn't catch the name of his ship. It's the Pella. That's yeah. the capital city of ancient Macedonia, birthplace of uh, Alexander the Great. Uh, all right, so there you go. He definitely has some Ozymandias inclinations to him. He thinks a lot of himself. It, it all comes full circle. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess you know we talked about the uh, proto molecule and how that's going to go down and what a threat that could be. This. Having read through the end of book six is all I know about the protomolecule, that it is out there and that the Free Navy has it. Uh, They have not dealt with that as best I can tell yet. So I am looking forward to see what they do with the protomolecule. It could just, like I said, it could just be a a geopolitical or what's the spatio aeropolitical, you know, trump card. It could be nothing because, sure. like, honestly, that's what the protomolecule has been for most of the show's existence, you know? Yeah, um, it's it's been a plot mover, though. Like, uh, it definitely, but, but a lot of MacGuffins yeah. are, you know, like it's it's um, but I mean, it's that's that's damn it with faint praise. It called a MacGuffin like it, it opened up yeah, the stars yeah. to humanity. It almost killed Earth at uh, Yeah, but but still, 
you know, um, it's one of those things where it's like no party controls it. It's got its own unfathomable interest. It kind of does its own thing. Everybody tries to possess it and control it, but so it's fine. It's fine in that yeah. role because the thing is, if you use if you use it, like what's that look like? You know, you launch it at Earth, it hits Earth and takes Earth out, or you stop it. You know, it's not as interesting as the possibility of it being out there. You know, because there's only so many things you can do it with it. Yeah, I guess like if you if you want to go real crazy with it, I wonder if Marco could have uh like a plan to fire the proto molecule because I, I think about the proto molecule as getting out of hand very quickly you know like it it lands Absolutely. on venus and then this thing comes out of it and opens a gate to who knows where like it reaches out and what it does when it reaches out is not up to you it is really not up to you absolutely i wonder if there's any way and i don't even know if this would would be a true safety net here but if, if marco wants to fire this thing at earth and then destroy the ring gate somehow try and destroy medina station uh and the the just close down the gate because they've done that they've tried to do that before right um mm-hmm. last season they tried to close the gate or why would he want because he seems like he it seems like he wants the the gate resources for his people right right I mean, that's but what, if they could shut that's down the problem the with earth, him is that he 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 seems like what he's I guess the one of the, well one of the many fatal flaws of his plan is that he essentially just wants to turn the paradigm of Earth and Mars the oppressor the belt uh, the oppressees he just wants to flip that in the head on its head yeah. where the belt are the masters of the solar system and and Earth and and Mars are under their heel, um, so then he that the, the the thing that I think is interesting about that is he doesn't realize that that's a fatal flaw. Like sure. you can only do that to an oppressed people for so long. Like it's eventually, uh, you know, may, maybe it takes six months, maybe it takes sixty years, but eventually that is an unsustainable pattern. The people that, uh, you know, unless you're just going to kill them all, uh, they'll find a way to, uh, they'll they'll get a grudge, they'll get angry, their children will will grow up radicalized, and they will find a way to hurt you. Um, sure. Yeah. So it's, uh, I yeah, I'm not sure where they're going with it. We'll see. This podcast is sponsored by Hydrant, encouraging you to hydrate fast and effectively. With the new year, it's time to make a fresh start, and now is the perfect time to build hydration into your new healthy routines. The days are shorter, it's getting colder, your energy is lower. Did you know that hydration can be tied to improved mood, better focus and mental clarity, more energy, clearer skin, and more? But by the time you feel thirsty, it's too late because you're already dehydrated. You can't focus. You feel tired. Your skin is drying out. That's where Hydrant comes in. Hydrant is a refreshing drink mix powder made with four key electrolytes, sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc. It's made with real fruit juice powder and no artificial sweeteners or synthetic colors, so it tastes great. If you're looking for an extra boost to your body, try new Hydrant Immunity, containing vitamins A, B6, B12, C, and D, along with ginger and turmeric. As a bonus, you can drink this vitamin-packed drink mix hot, which is perfect for a wintertime warm-up. Hydrant's backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you don't love it, send it back for a full refund. You really need to try it for yourself to see how better hydration makes you feel. Try Hydrant today and save up to 25% on your first order. What are you waiting for? We got a special deal for our listeners to save 25% off your first order. Go to drinkhydrant.com slash pulp or enter our promo code pulp at checkout. 
That's D-R-I-N-K-H-Y-D-R-A-N-T dot com slash pulp and enter promo code pulp for 25% off your first order. One more time, drinkhydrant.com slash pulp and enter promo code pulp to save 25%. We thank Hydrant for sponsoring the podcast, Hydrant, where water meets wellness. Okay, it's December, which means we can officially start watching Christmas movies. But what if you go to Netflix and discover your favorite Christmas movie isn't available in your country? Get ready to have your mind blown. You can use ExpressVPN to watch any Netflix library in the world. For example, this weekend I used ExpressVPN to stream a Christmas classic, Gremlins, on Fritch Netflix. It was so simple. I just opened up the app, hit one button to change my location, refresh Netflix, and just like that, the Gremlins are getting wet, they're multiplying, they're being fed after midnight. It's just a bad idea all around. See, ExpressVPN lets you control where you want sites to think you're located. You can choose from almost 100 countries. So just imagine all the Netflix libraries you can explore. And of course, it's not just Netflix. ExpressVPN works on any streaming service. Disney+, Plus, Hulu, BBC iPlayer, you name it. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but the reason I use ExpressVPN to watch movies and shows is because it's ridiculously fast. There's never any buffering, and you can always stream in HD. ExpressVPN works for all your devices, too, including phones, tablets, media consoles, and smart televisions. So you can use it to watch whatever you want on the go or on the big screen. If you visit our special link right now, expressvpn.com pulp, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support the show, watch what you want, and get your holiday fix at expressvpn.com slash pulp. Uh, that's it for the episode. Do we have any feedback? We do have a spot of feedback. We're recording this um, just a few days after the Expanse dropped for everybody to enjoy. Um, you know, they dropped it early like we thought they were going to. Uh, so they kind of, you know, they, 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 it released um, very early on Tuesday evening, like eight or nine o'clock. It was pretty early. Yeah. Not not noon on Wednesday for sure. No. Uh, so we got ours out a, a little. And so it's only been, a, you know, relatively speaking, it's been out a couple hours. We just got a single piece of feedback. But since it's going to be until episode six that we're able to consider more, I thought we'd go ahead and read it. Uh, this is from TB, and they want to talk about the recent, you know, events of the Expanse being "quote unquote" canceled after season six. Mm. Says uh, Oye Involoda. I hope I got that right. I'm both excited and dejected about the upcoming season. I always it's always great to have the most criminally unrated show back, but I'm really disappointed by the news that the sixth season may question mark be its last. When the news first broke, I assumed like Jim that the plan would be to cover an abbreviated book. Uh, version of book five and six this season and then have a breakneck final season covering the last three books which gave me very unpleasant game of thrones vibes yeah. but recent comments from ty frank has made it pretty clear that the last three books won't be covered at all this time and he includes a link below to a screen rant article and i'm going to excerpt some wow. quotes from that as a completist and book fan it's really disappointing that the last three books really offer another total escalation and recontextualization of the short story yikes uh, it would have been a challenge to capture the scope for sure, but I was really excited to see that last arc brought to screen. All that said, Babylon's Ashes is my favorite of the series since it's the first to offer POVs from the rest of the Rossi crew, especially Amos. I remember seeing that they'd have a POV uh, and feeling an excitement that I hadn't had since discovering Jamie would become a POV in A Song of Ice and Fire. Having insight into inner thoughts sheds light into who they are and why... 
in a way that you just don't get from someone else's POV. Yeah, obviously, they're complicated characters. Given what we know, what do you think is the best possible outcome for the next two seasons and beyond, and what are you really hoping to see revealed in the abbreviated wrap-up of the story? Uh, can't wait to take the ride with you. So the screen rant, uh, Ty says that... Um, he, push, he says, we have what we think a very natural pause point. It's an interesting phrasing for the story after season six. It'll feel like a satisfying end to the story we've been building over the uh, first five seasons. I think one of the things that is sort of outmoded is this idea of being canceled. Uh, Alcon, the television group, our studio, is very committed to the intellectual property, adding they have lots of plans. We'll see what happens after that. Um you know, outmoded idea of being canceled. Um, shit gets canceled all the time. But yeah. at one point, Star Wars was canceled. You know, we got three movies and that was it. There's no books, no more toys, no more even video games. And then we got a little bit of books, and a little bit of video games. And 20 years later, it got uncanceled and to mixed reviews. You know, there's like, a, a sci fi uh, series I know of that once got canceled uh, before season four and then got picked up by a streaming service <laughs> for the next three yeah. seasons. And, and it used to be not, it, you know, if you, your sh- favorite show got canceled, you know, that was it. But now you can shop it to another network. You might be able to pick up a picture deal. There could be limited series. You can, it doesn't have to be just one, you know, like look at all the collaborations like HBO and BBC and sky and C plus anal or whatever the studio <laughs> that, that, uh, just above average anal. Uh, they, 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 all this stuff that they they do to kind of spread the cost around and to to make some of these expensive shows like this happen. I you know if season six ends and it's a nice pause point and there's still a lot of interest. I the the one thing that we had speculated that that, that Ty pushes back. He he says decisively in this interview that it's not about ratings. That the ratings were satisfactory for everyone involved. This is a kind of studio created decision. Uh, if that's true and there's still appetite, um, I can't believe that people would walk away from for more for more money, making more money. Um, what does that mean? This is a studio creative decision. If it's not about rating, like everybody's satisfied with the the return they're getting for their money, th- then like the people making the show has just decided they're not having fun anymore. What is? I I don't know. I'm at a I'm at a disadvantage because I haven't read the books and I've I've seen some third hand conversations around people that have where I understand that it it you know it's it's kind of like um, they're not necessarily I I don't know man I don't know I don't want to accidentally spoil people I'm afraid I might have been accidentally spoiled some and at least some parts myself but like I'm gonna have to I think we need to take Dan and Ty at their word that this is a good place to leave things. And maybe retool for future things that no one is not, you know, no, that there's it seems like no one creatively involved in this process is really angry that this is happening. This is not being taken from them that, you know, uh, I, but but it is hard to understand. It is hard to understand if you've got the three other books and you got a studio willing to do it and you got the money for it and you got the fan base. Why don't you do it? Um yeah. But shit, you know, why did James Cameron, he's, why is he taking 20 years to do more avatars? Why is he doing six more of them? Like, you know, uh, I will have to see. We'll have to see. But uh, I, I feel a lot better because I've gone through a lot of shows that got rushed out the door for various reasons. And it sucks to see something, you know, you, you get the sandcastle 90% built and then someone just comes and kicks it over and ruins it to where it's like you can't even... 
you, you can't even unkick it at this point. Like it's just it's just destroyed. Like you know, it, it's almost it'd be better if it just got canceled and didn't go forward than didn't try to botch a a last season or two or something. Mm-hmm. So like I feel really good that this is going to be left in a good place, so someone can pick it up in the future. Um, win the money and and maybe special effects technology and ca- casting because it's also I, I wonder if it is a financial decision because. It seems likely that a lot of these people signed on to either three or six year contracts. And at the end of this latest three or six year cycle, they're going to, you know, they're going to want more money. And maybe that changes the since this is already an expensive show, maybe that changes the calculus of it some somewhat. I I don't know, but I feel good that Dan and Ty are feel good about it. Yeah, I mean, I've read to the to the break point that I assume they're you know, the, to the end of book six, uh, they're talking about as a break point, a natural break point. I, I, I can't say too much about it. I thought there was at least one Honestly, hanging yeah. thread that really deserved more answers. Um, maybe there are some implied answers thinking about how that ends that, you know, maybe there are some implied answers in the book that maybe aren't fleshed out as well as they could be that they could flesh out better in the show and make a more satisfying break point. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they do that, I want, I then question like, where does that leave a potential seven, eight, nine season, uh, or seven, eight, nine book movie or whatever. I feel like a lot of times that happens in standalone projects. Like, you know, you watch the movie alien and, uh, that's a self-contained thing. It's over when it's done, but also where the fuck did those engineers come from? Why were they hailing, uh, hauling around these alien eggs? Where did they come from? Are they bioweapons sure. and like other movies come along and take those plot points and move them? But like, you know, Ridley Scott didn't have aliens in mind when he wrote Alien. So yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I, I think it's like we've gotten so used to seven movies being greenlit and filmed in England and New Zealand and it's a done deal and we got part like that I grew up in an era where it's like people put stuff out it would get canceled mid-season and you'd never hear from it again like we got this golden age where it's like oh this is a hot IP and people are making money of it surely it's going to get finished and I don't know I I think it will like I think it will in our lifetime it's just I I, yeah but I yeah why is it stopping I don't know I don't know I don't, I don't know. know. I uh, wish I knew more about it, and I wish people could be more forthcoming about why, because it doesn't. Does all the stated reasons sound good, but they all seem slightly in conflict. Somebody's not happy with something, or they would keep it going. Like they're not happy with what they can do with special effects, because if this is another kick of scale, and now you got to make fucking Star Wars, like the, you go from making some gritty, low, you know, kind of mid-budget science fiction to the fucking Mandalorian. Maybe they're just not happy with what they can do with their budget. I maybe it's a talent issue because they got to pay Wes Chatham sixty billion dollars an, an episode going forward. I, I but it's, it's got to be something because. No one, no one shuts the mint and money spigot off for no reason, you know. Yeah, no, that's that's the weird thing. Uh, I think we should go set up a uh, goal on our Patreon account for like fifty million dollars. Yeah, you think that'd get it done? If we can get to one fifty episode. million, we will we will guarantee at least one more season of the Expanse. Yep, Jim will be cast as Jim Holden. Uh, <laughs> I will be playing uh, uh, Amos, gone slightly to seed, slightly. I'm start working out. Holy shit. Uh, your cat will be Naomi, and uh, okay, we can. We don't need Alex. They they took care of Alex for us, so we don't have to worry about that. True. Um, shit, Cecily's six foot tall. She can be Bobby. There We're good. Go. We're good. Fifty million dollars. We can make an, at least an episode happen. So for sure. There you go. Uh, screaming derpox coming at you. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, if you'd like to send us some feedback and let us know what you think uh, the deal is, um, you know, like I, I don't know. There, I don't know how much appetite we have to talk about this all season long. And it depends on whether we get new information, because right now it's like I think it's like there's nothing more to say until there's a new piece of information. But uh, expanse at baldmove.com is how I do that. Uh, you also got the forums, forums.baldmove.com. If you'd like to talk about the episodes in between our coverage, um, we'll see. But yeah, we got episode five coming out next week. Uh, the following week, we'll be in the new year and we'll be back to doing uh, episode production. And we should have a big bag of feedback to consider then. But yeah, send it all in now. Uh, expanse.baldmove. Sorry, expanse at baldmove.com. And that's, that's it. That's it. Until next week, yeah. episode five. I'm Aaron. I'm Jim. See you then.